Well, good evening. Happy Valentine's Day to you, in addition to Ash Wednesday. And as I was thinking about how these two were coming together, I thought about uh, a movie that my wife Abby and I used to watch when we were dating. It was called Notting Hill. And it's a, you know, a, a romantic comedy starring Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts. And, you know, as all rom-coms are, it was ridiculous and is ridiculous. But Hugh Grant plays a, a bookstore owner in London. And one day, Julia Roberts, who plays an American actress, walks into his bookstore. And the rest of the movie is the unfolding of their unlikely love story, right? Well, on that day that they first met, there were other customers in the bookstore, and so at one point, Hugh Grant has to walk away to deal with one of the other customers, and he has this whole interaction, and he comes to the customer and says, excuse me, and the man responds, yes, bad news, what? We've got security cameras in this bit of the shop, and the customer keeps kind of playing dumb, so... So I saw you put the book down your trousers. And that's how you know that it's set in England because they call their pants trousers, but it's another issue. And, but he digs in his heels. What book? The one down your trousers. I haven't got any book down my trousers. Right, well then we're at a little bit of an impasse. I, I tell you what, I'll call the police and if I'm wrong about the whole book down your trousers scenario, I apologize, really. Man says, okay. What if I do have a book down my trousers? <laughs> well, ideally, when I go back to the desk, you'll remove the book from your trousers and either wipe it off and put it back or buy it. And he walks away. Well, we don't really actually know if he took the book out of his trousers or not, but this image does, I think, help us get at what our focus is for Ash Wednesday, at least for this year. Why is it so hard to admit when we've done something wrong? Even when there's evidence right there in our face. That's what we're going to talk about this evening uh, and we're going to do that looking through the lens of a passage from the book of Matthew, chapter 11. And if you'd like to follow along on the screen, uh, you can. Let's listen as we hear God speak to us this evening. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray as we move into this. Heavenly Father, on this uh, Ash Wednesday, this unique day within our year, as we gather together, uh, may we 
gather with our whole selves available to you. May you open our ears. May you open our eyes. Give us eyes to see ourselves clearly, to see you more clearly, so that ultimately, Lord, we can respond as you would lead us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a pretty tough passage. Uh, You know, Jesus starts this passage out, we're told, by denouncing or bringing charges against the towns where he had done most of his miracles. These are the towns of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And if you kind of look through the rest of the story of Jesus' life and ministry, which we don't actually see any details of what he did in uh, Chorazin, but in Bethsaida, we find that he walked on water on his way to Bethsaida. He fed the 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. He healed a blind man. In Capernaum, Capernaum was actually like Jesus' home base during his time of ministry. So he did a lot of things in Capernaum, healings and exorcisms and teaching. And There must have been so, so much more even for Jesus to come out so strongly denouncing and bringing charges against these towns. He's essentially saying, you've got a book down your trousers. And their response was apparently, no, we don't. You know, that, he, goes, he keeps pressing, but you do. As he says, woe to you. And woe is kind of a, a word that we don't probably use all that often, but it's this exclamation that Jesus is making of horror and concern particularly for like coming pain that is going to come on these people. And the pain is going to come because, he describes, because of judgment that is coming. Consistently throughout the Bible, what we see is history is going somewhere. Life isn't on accident. It's headed toward a conclusion and a culmination. This age that we live in will come to an end, and on that day is the day when God is going to bring true justice, which is something we deeply long for. But in the process of bringing justice, righting every wrong, He's going to bring judgment. He's going to bring judgment on all that is wrong and on all of us that will stand before Him to give an account of everything we've done, everything that we've said, everything that we've thought. And so Jesus is warning these towns that, hey, on that day, it's not going to go very well for you. In fact, he says, if, if the towns of Tyre and Sidon had seen the things that you've seen, man, they would have repented a long time ago. Now, that may not like really strike you as something so significant for Jesus to say. Not, certainly, it may not hit us the way it hit his first hearers because Jesus was talking about and talking to those towns, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, right? Those were Jewish towns. Those were towns filled with the people of God. But Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, these were Gentile towns. These were not Jewish towns. These were towns that were not considered part of the tribes and the people of God. These were the thems, the theys, the outsiders. And not only that, those particular towns throughout all of the Old Testament were like synonymous with sin. I mean, debauchery of all kinds. You're living in arrogance 
wildly, living, worshiping all sorts of other gods. And so for the original hearers, they would have been shocked to hear these towns. If these towns, if they, if them, we've got some theys and thems, right? Think about the theys and the thems in, in our world. If they heard, really, them, with their track record, with how terrible they are, if they had seen the things that you've seen, man, they would have repented. Well, repent just really means to turn around and go the other way. It's like so many times when I come out of my neighborhood, I'm just driving on autopilot. I don't, my brain, I don't exactly know where it goes all the time. But I come and I turn, like, actually, I turn most of the time like I'm coming here. And then sometimes I'll get a little ways down the road and kind of snap out of it and go, oh, man, I'm going totally the wrong way. Well, the U-turn is repentance, right? Instead of going this way, I'm now going the right way. And so if the they's that Jesus is talking about, if they had seen what you've seen, they would have done a U-turn. They would have stopped going their own way, and they would have started going God's way a long time ago. And the first thing that they would have done when they turned around is they would have put on sackcloth and ashes. So what's sackcloth? Sackcloth is like, a, like burlap. You know what burlap is? Like that super coarse, rough fibers that are woven together. I mean, you know, a lot of the time we think about burlap bags. Well, they would have like put on whole outfits made of burlap, you could say. That's sackcloth. And, and they would also put on ashes they might have smeared some on their heads. They might have just taken a whole pile, you know, out of an ash pile and just heaped it onto the top of their head. You can just kind of picture what that would have been like. But sackcloth and ashes were signs of, of mourning. They were signs of sorrow. And sometimes it was like general grief, like we often think of grief, particularly in terms of like losing a loved one or something like that. But often they were signs particularly of the sorrow associated with realizing they had done something wrong. The sorrow associated with realizing they had wronged the God who had been so good and generous to them. You know, it's not just the sorrow of getting caught because we did something bad. It was the sorrow that they had disappointed someone that loved them so much. You can probably feel that difference inside of you, right? It's, so they would put on this sackcloth and this ashes as part of their grief for the sin they had done, the hurts they had inflicted, their unfaithfulness to God. And so one of the things that tells us is that ashes are not a Catholic thing. Ashes are a people of God thing. This goes back thousands of years that the people of God were responding to the reality of God's presence in their life by using ashes. Now, it's not a sacrament, but it is a sign, right? It's a physical, tangible, get really literally dirty sign of sorrow and repentance. But why, why have ashes as a sign for that sorrow over sin? I think it, it may be because a lot of the time, ashes and dust are kind of referred to together, and it reminds us back at the beginning in creation, when God formed the first human, when he formed Adam, he bent down to the dust of the earth, the ashes of the earth, and he formed Adam and breathed life into him. And so, 
in the, in the sorrow over sin, we remember from, from ashes, from dust we came. And the reality is because of my sinfulness, I also realized that, you know what, I'm not really deserving of the life that's been breathed into this body. I'm really deserving of, of returning simply to the dust and the ashes of the earth. That's what Jesus was warning about. This is the just punishment on judgment day, deserving to be dust and ashes. So the people would put the ashes on their heads as this humble reminder to themselves and as this demonstration of their repentance. And Jesus is saying, if Tyre and Sidon had only seen the things that, that you've seen, they would have done this a long time ago. So what did Chorazin... Bethsaida and Capernaum do that required repentance? What was so grievous that Jesus had this stark warning for them? What did they do that was so bad? Nothing. Well, literally, that's what they did. They did nothing. And that's the point. They had seen Jesus' miracles. They had heard him. They had this incredible privilege of witnessing the God of the universe take on flesh, move among them, and they weren't moved by it. They were totally indifferent. There was no conviction. Have you ever thought, like, okay, if only I could have been there, if only I could see Jesus the way they saw Jesus, if only I could hear him speak to me the way that he spoke to those disciples, if only he would show up and I could see him do the miracle, then I would be sure. Then I would know it's going to be okay. Then I would have confidence and I could hold fast to him. Then I would trust him. Then I could obey. Have you ever said or thought anything like that? Well, they saw Jesus. They heard him. They may have touched him. It didn't matter didn't move them. Their privilege of encountering Jesus didn't change their hearts, and so they did nothing. The reality is we are so privileged <laughs> in so many ways. I mean, just, just materially, if we start there, as Americans, we are so incredibly blessed. We enjoy the highest standard of living in the history of all history, of all people, anywhere, anytime. We are privileged. But we also live in the privilege of freedom and liberty to gather here together, to worship openly, to proclaim a hope in Jesus Christ without fear of retribution and persecution. Dale Bruner was a, a scholar of the New Testament, and, and he, just, he said this, kind of adding commentary to this warning. He says, Christian countries are in special trouble on Judgment Day, not because Jesus has not been in their communities, but because he has. Jesus' presence without change can lead to a damnation deeper than Sodom's. Capernaum stands for self-conscious Christianity, for all Christianity smug in its possession of Jesus, in its being the center of Jesus' work, and Jesus is not always impressed. It's going to be better in the judgment day for notorious pagans than for self-satisfied saints. 
we have this incredible privilege. <laughs> and perhaps we have even more privilege than these towns that Jesus is warning because we have the privilege of living on this side of Jesus' death on a cross and His resurrection. We have the privilege of being called clearly children of God, adopted because of what Jesus Christ has done. We have the privilege of knowing forgiveness because of what He endured for us. We have the privilege of His, His Holy Spirit living within us, indwelling us, comforting us, strengthening us. We have the privilege of being engrafted and incorporated into the body of Christ, into this church, into His church. We have the honor of being able to serve and represent Him and, and live that out in His name. We are so privileged. And will we take it for granted? Or will it continue to move us? Will it move us to repentance, to put on the ashes? Or will we look, kind of look at ourselves and say, I don't have a book in my trousers. I, I didn't do anything. See, we're, we're entering today this season of Lent. I want to invite you to think of it as a, as a season of repentance and confession, a whole journey, a whole season. And actually, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you've heard us, we've been talking about we're entering into this journey that we've, we've been describing as worse than we thought, but better than we imagined. Because we're going to be exploring the truth about sin and the gospel. Because the reality is sin is not just about the list of things that we weren't supposed to do, that we did, that we were supposed to do, that we didn't do. It's not just about actions and behaviors that come out in our lives. It's not just about the bad words that we said. It's about our heart. It's about it's something deeper and wider. It's a force that's acting on us. And we have all sorts of ways that we interact with it and can, it will consume us. And we want to pull all of that apart, not so that we can feel horrible about ourselves and beat ourselves up, that misses the whole point, but so that we can understand the enormity and the significance of what Jesus actually accomplished on that Good Friday, on that Easter Sunday, when he conquered sin completely. So this is an invitation for you to step into this journey of intentional reflection of starting to get pretty honest about what book or books may be in your trousers. To repent, to confess. To confess, to acknowledge, right? And yes, to acknowledge to God. I mean, He already knows anyway. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's in your mind. He knows the things that you've done that everybody else around you doesn't know about. So, this is about bringing out in the open the things that he already knows, but it's, yes, confess it to God because he's also the only one that can speak the truth into the depth of your heart, your mind, and your soul to say, you are, in fact, forgiven. He's the only one that can absolve your sin. He's the only one that can truly forgive your sin. But I also want you to consider who else you may confess to. My dad was, was not Catholic, but he had a lot of respect for the Catholic Church and particularly some of the practices that he felt like they really got right. And he would talk to me about it at various times and still does over the years. And one of the things that he said, and I agree, that the Catholic Church has gotten right 
is the need to confess our sins to another person. And they didn't just make it up. This comes right out of what we read earlier from James chapter 5. I don't know if you, you heard it right in the middle of the passage. But James doesn't just suggest like it's a good idea. He commands the church, confess your sins one to another. Confess your sins. Meaning out loud, verbally, so that somebody else can hear them. What else they got right was that we're to confess our sins to a priest. Now you might be like, what? That, do, that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, because that, that kind of gets us to where they got it a little bit wrong. Because over and over again in the scripture, the priesthood is actually every follower of Jesus. It's not a special class of people. It's not just the clergy. Peter says so clearly that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and he was talking to all of us. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a priest of the Almighty God. And so when we start talking about confessing our sins to a priest, it means confessing your sins to another follower of Jesus. Look to your left and look to your right. Right now. It's like, do it. Look behind you, look in front of you. You just looked at a priest. The followers of Jesus are priests because, because we together can actually represent one another before God and God to one another. Like, why would we confess to one another? Why would we do that? Why would, I, I mean, I think, first of all, it, it makes it kind of real, doesn't it? Like, it, in some ways, we can get a little too comfortable with the Almighty God, which is just kind of ironic because he's almighty, and that should kind of be terrifying. But we can get a little comfortable. Okay, God, you know, for, forgive my sins. You know, so part of the problem is we don't sometimes get specific enough, and like, God, this is exactly what I did and how I did it, and this is where my heart was at, and, you know, we just kind of, God, forgive my sins, amen, which is better than nothing. But when we actually have to open our mouth, look another person in the face, and describe specifically the sin that's, that's been a part of our life, how we've hurt our spouse or our children or the way we've taken advantage of a system inappropriately, the way we deceived in order to get ahead, the way we've been, whatever it is, it's kind of hard to do that with another person, isn't it? It's kind of scary. And I think it's kind of supposed to be because it's supposed to remind us that this is what it's like to give an account to the Almighty God. But the other part of, and the beauty of confessing our sins to one to another, to another priest, is that we actually, you can mediate the grace of God. You can mediate the grace of Jesus Christ, meaning you can actually help me receive the grace of Jesus Christ in a way that, that I need to hear. Because I'll tell you what, sometimes we get ourselves in this like cycle, don't we? Where, okay, I'm aware of the, the sin, I'm aware of my guilt, I'm aware of the shame and the regret and the failure, and I'm aware of all these things, and, and it's really hard sometimes to remember that, oh yeah, and God's already taken care of that for you, because he loves you so much, that's why he sent Jesus, that's why Jesus volunteered to die in your place on a cross, so that he would return to the dirt and the, the ashes so that you wouldn't have to, but when you look at me and you remind me of that truth, Man, it can lift me out of such a, a cycle of shame and regret. Because you can remember for me what God has done for me maybe in a moment when I cannot remember on my own. 
And furthermore, James said, confess your sins one to another, oh yeah, and then pray for one another. But why did he say pray? So that you will be healed. It's very interesting. He seems to be connecting the confession of our sin to one another out loud with our mouths to being healed. To being healed physically, maybe. To being healed spiritually. To being healed relationally. To being healed psychologically. There's something profound and amazing that when the priesthood of Jesus, when the followers of Jesus hear one another's confession and pray over one another, there is a healing that comes. God alone will offer forgiveness, and Jesus Christ is the source of all that healing. But there's something here that connects these two when we boldly, courageously, openly confess and pray with and for one another so we can be healed. And so as we enter into this journey that is Lent, this season of repentance and confession, I want to invite you into this time of, in this season of reflection. What are the books in your trousers? Let's start to identify them specifically. Begin to confess them before God. Begin to confess them. Who in your life could you begin confessing to? I'm not suggesting you need to run around and and tell everybody in this room all of your dirty laundry, right? And that you got to find every follower of Jesus and make sure they know everything that you've ever done. But who in your life that's a follower of Jesus could you begin to confess to? Who in your life could be a priest to you? Who could you be a priest for? If you don't have that, maybe you can start to develop that. You could jump into one of our small groups this season. And that's part of that role of that group is to begin to help be priests to one another, to remind each other of the goodness of God. But let us enter into this season so that we can repent, that we can confess, and that we can pray for one another so that I believe God wants to bring healing and revival to our lives, to our families, to our neighborhood, to this community. And it it happens. It happens as we embrace the reality of the gospel that is for us. So let's begin tonight. After, in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to pray a, a prayer of confession together. I'm going to invite you to pray along out loud. And the whole point of that prayer, that it, since it's printed out, you know, it may feel weird, it may feel rote, it may feel like you know, words that are foreign to you, but the whole point of it is really just to begin to prime the pump, to begin to give you things to reflect on, begin for, to, to kind of stir some things up to help you see what, what are the books you might be carrying around in your trousers. Right? It's to then give you that space as we come to the end of the prayer so that you can, whatever kind of, of acknowledgement, confession you need to make before God, you can make that. And so we'll have a, a, an extended time of silent prayer. And at the end of that, you know, I'll wrap that time up. And then you'll be invited to come forward. You'll be invited to come forward down the middle aisle. There'll be two stations here. And if you would like to, you can receive ashes on your forehead in the sign of a cross. You can come forward as that sign of your repentance, but what you'll hear as you receive that is repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe what God has done for you.
let's move into this time of prayer together. I invite you to pray. You can follow along on the screen or it's in, in your bulletin. If you want to pray out loud together, let us join in. Oh God, who was and is and evermore shall be, who formed us from the dust of the earth, yet calls us to eternal life. Forgive us when in narrow-mindedness we focus only on the immediate and fail to see the eternal. Forgive us when we proudly profess our own relative goodness and fail to recognize your pure holiness. Forgive us when we ignore your just judgment and recklessly count on your amazing love. Forgive us when in doubt we give in to despair and give up on the hope that you make all things right in your eternal kingdom. Lord, forgive us. Lift our vision above the immediate so by your grace we might be ready for that eternal life which you want to give us on this day and every day. Lead us into true repentance that we may turn from that which distracts us from you alone. Hear our individual confessions as we silently pray and speak your grace to our souls. Heavenly Father, may you continue to, to guide us through this, this season, through this journey. Give us courage to be honest. Give us courage to confess. Give us courage, Lord, to approach you. Lord, we thank you that you do not wait to condemn us, but you wait for us to turn back to you so that you can, you can lavish us with your love and your grace. Oh God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.